Well, we want to welcome you to this new episode, 118 of Live Transform. Jim, Audrey, it's good to be get <laughs> I'm so together glad again. I'm still doing an old yeah. one. <laughs> I kn- no. <laughs> if, if people were a part of our previous podcast, yes, we had already been to 118. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. But, but now we have, we're revisiting it. We have been spiritually traveling through time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because we do that. Yes, we do that. Yeah. And we've been talking about codependency, like we've been talking mm-hmm. about personal responsibility for weeks and weeks now. Right. But I love the relation relationship with codependency that um, how many times do we play games in order to have to make other people make our decisions, mm-hmm. you know, so that we can, we can sure. force other people to have to make our, to take the blame and to make the choices for us. And it's not how life works. We're called to take personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Of course, I've been hammering it. When we think about personal responsibility, mm-hmm. and we've you know, we've talked about this, and and you know, I think the people that have been here pretty much every week un, are starting to understand the significance yes. of personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think people that might have just be tuning in today and hear us talking about it may not fully understand the the significance of of personal responsibility. You know. Um, you know, the first two pillars of faith, and I've said this over and over on, mm-hmm. you know, in this podcast and my messages, you know, the first two pillars of faith are what we believe about the creation of the, of the universe mm-hmm. and what we believe about the creation of man. Yes. Made Those, in the likeness of God. Yes. Yeah. The, and, and what all that implies. And if, if, if we under if we look around the world, if we understand what those things mean, and we look around the world, whether it's the church world, the political world, anywhere, you know, the educational world, the scientific world, or whatever, it doesn't really matter. What we find is it, it, it can't. It, it's not a conspiracy. Uh, I call it the accidental conspiracy. <laughs> you know, it, there are conspiracies that occur. Not because a bunch of people get together in a back room somewhere and say, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to mess up the world and all that kind of stuff. And uh, in, in the, the way life works is there are always people who very consciously and deliberately and wickedly, usually for personal gain on some level, they drive certain agendas, but they package those agendas or in and uh, some very humanistic, uh, socialistic concept that just sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. It sounds like yeah. kindness. It sounds like love, and it sounds like including, including, and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds like everything that God talks about. Mm-hmm. And and so you know one of the one of the famous famous sayings uh, uh, that came out of the communist movement, which you know communism and socialism for all pra- communism, socialism, progressivism, they're all pretty much the same. Uh, uh, that what happens is the name gets changed throughout history to try to falsely break their identity with with the evils of the past. In other words, in other words, the terminology communism at one time was accepted and promoted, and politicians in America uh, uh, um, thought that communism was going to be the, the the salvation of the world. And then, then after hundreds of millions of people died 
<laughs> through trying to bring communism into Europe uh, and into China. Then they changed the name to socialism. And, and now, after millions of people dying, they've changed the name to progressivism. So, that, you know, different names, subtle, subtle differences. But one of the famous sayings that came out of those movements was referring to useful idiots. Useful idiots are people that are idealistic, usually young people, usually college students who really have never had jobs. They've never they've never had to support businesses. They have never they have never been involved in capitalism or free enterprise in a way that they that that they they never started companies, and so all this idealistic theory makes sense. So they're young, they're passionate, their parents are paying the bills, so, so, so they're not really out trying to earn a living. Mm-hmm. So they are useful to the cause because they are so passionate about the cause and they're pushing the cause forward, but they're idiots because they don't really realize the cause is a scam. And this is this is what this is what the communists. This is terminology the communists used to use of American college kids. Uh, they were useful idiots. You know, they they thought they had all these answers. So, in any in any structured or organizational structure that is designed to govern men in any shape, form, or fashion, there are the people who know what's going on and have very deliberate calls. And then there are the people who buy the propaganda about the cause and go out here and passionately move the cause forward because they really, really believe that they are, that they're helping. And then sprinkled all through that are the people that do that even though they're not the originators, they recognize the opportunity that the cause gives them to fulfill their own greed. Well, the, the most anti-God cause or the most effective anti-God cause that gives power to corrupt people uh, is codependency. And, and you know, I, I read some documents that, that came, out of, uh, out, uh, came out of committees uh, in the UN. And as the UN talks about how they want to bring about a one-world government, they realize that if they bring about a one-world government, then uh, if there's not the threat of war, then politicians will lose the power to control the masses. Because you have to have the people feeling lack and need and fear uh, to control the masses. And there was actually, in the UN, there's documents that support this, there were there they got together and, and and you know in their groups talked about okay so so once we finally get a one world government what do we need to do so we can still control the people well every i, I forgot how many things were on that list it might have been about 15 possibilities so on that list they said they said what we got to do is we have to create the illusion of a crisis that is so big that people are so overwhelmed that they have to turn to the government to to be protected, mm-hmm. and then and then they and then they listed about fifteen ways they can do it. Among which, by the way, is to convince people that there really are aliens, uh, mm-hmm. you know, outer space aliens mm-hmm. that are threatening the world. Uh, you know, nothing to be more make people more emotionally crippled than mm-hmm. to believe that that there are space aliens that could that could destroy the world. 
but you know, like so interesting, you know, the whole, the whole fear thing and and I'll keep, let you keep going because then I have some ideas of, of, of the opposite of that. Well, what, you know, remember man turned the world from paradise Mm -hmm. to chaos Mm -hmm. because he felt lack Mm -hmm. and he felt lack because he did not believe he was actually created in the likeness and image of God. Mm-hmm. He felt like he felt like to become godlike, he had to exert force and control and and manipulation and he had to take the reins on deciding what was good and evil, you know, for himself. And you so, know the, the okay, the key <coughs> word yeah. you just said was felt. Because it felt. man, yeah. this is the biggest word in that whole se- se- um, sentence you just said because he felt lack. And when you feel something, it starts to guess and to gather evidence. And then you start looking and that's when you start going down a totally different path. Well, the moment you feel anything, if you accept it as real, then the way the brain works is it starts only recognizing those things that support that, that thought, feeling, and belief. And it actually blocks out things that would contradict it, that would show you that no, that's 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 really not right. That's why that's why you know a, a repentant heart, a repentant attitude, is the only attitude that can walk with God. You, you you cannot walk with God if you do not have a repentant attitude, because otherwise you're saying no, I'm right. How I see it is right. How mm-hmm. I believe it is right. How I feel it is right. Don't tell me I'm not right. And that literally robbed man from enjoying paradise. That one little quantum change in his heart, just that feeling that maybe, um, maybe I feel lack or that idea that just maybe nothing changed in his circumstance in that moment. Like he still was surrounded by everything he was surrounded by, but everything in that quantum level changed for him. And then all of a sudden, as you said, he he accepted it as real, and then he started to recognize everything that would. And it, I'm saying this because it happens to me. Come on, you guys, sure. it happens to all of us. The minute we start to feel lack, we we really have a choice to make. And sometimes, and that's why it's so related to personal responsibility. Every day, yep. I believe that every day is new, and I believe that every day we choose yep. to, to to live in love and not fear. Because any form of fear will start to control our lives and and steal and rob from us the joy and peace that is really ours. Well, everything we're experiencing in life is to, in some cases, very explicitly, in some cases, very implicitly related to our choices. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, but but what's so very interesting is this: is if I can make you feel lack, mm-hmm. if I can make you question certain things and make you feel you know unsure about anything, make you feel lack on any level, then see, and this is con men do a couple of things. Okay, people recognize the fact that con men always thrive on greed. Mm-hmm. But in reality, greed can only exist in the heart of a person that feels lack. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I was going to say the opposite. What actually makes us completely immune, literally immune, 
is fearlessness because you cannot be owned or bought or right. manipulated or deceived if you don't have fear. You, you actually can't yeah. be. See, stop and think. Satan never said God was a liar. Well, it really wasn't Satan. It was the serpent. So the serpent never said God was a liar. The serpent never said you, you're not really created like God. The serpent was the perfect con man. The, the serpent produced the feeling of lack, which to resolve the feeling of lack, mankind had to go into greed. Because, you know, what, what he said, he said, well, you know, um, now, so, so did God say that? So, you know, there's this, this thing, about, okay, now is that, is that what God said? Is that what God really meant? It, you know, did he really mean, you know, you know what he said? And so, so you're starting to get this questioning, these things that up until then had been absolutes. And then he says, well, you know, the real truth is if you, if you eat of this tree of knowledge, good and evil, then you're going to be like God, no good and evil for yourself. He, see, he never directly attacked God. He, present, he, he got people into an internal dialogue that made them start questioning. Well, it was the questioning that led them to feeling lack. And then once you feel lack, then you you feel like you've got to take some kind of assertive or aggressive move to meet the need. There was a there was a con game I used to run before I got saved. I uh, I used to buy and sell and swap and trade musical instruments, and it was a, it was a way I supplemented my living. Because, you know, as a musician, you know, you had times where you made piles of money and then you had times where you didn't. So I always wanted to keep something I could fall back on. So uh, I, I actually had this this one amplifier that was, uh, uh, it was more sophisticated and expensive than, uh, it's a Marshall amplifier, but it was called the Marshall Major. It was the biggest Marshall amplifier there was. I was the only person probably in 300 miles that had one. Mm-hmm. And man, you if you walked on the stage and just set up a Marshall amplifier back in the 60s, in people's mind, you were a rock god. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You were you're you a rock and respect. roll god. Mm-hmm. Instant respect. Instant respect. Because yeah. no nobody had Marshall amplifiers back in them days except Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck and all these superstars. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would start, yeah, you know, I, I would. I would find my, my sucker and you could always tell a sucker just by his vulnerabilities that he expressed, you know, you could, you could pick up on him. And, um, and I would just start talking to him about how great you sound and how much better you sound when you're playing through a Marshall. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, t- I'm not telling him he's a bad player, but his internal dialogue starts. If the moment you start saying I could be better, internally you're kind of saying i'm not enough mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you get this person to kind of fantasizing oh man this is this is this could make all the difference in the world i could become this this could be how i'll make it i'll sound so good people go and so so you know you're 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 not telling him he's lack or bad you're just telling him how much better it could be yes. and so then what i would do is then I, then I play on the greed. Once you get the feeling of lack in there, then I would play on their greed. And, and the greed would be, I, you know, it's like, you know what? I'm in kind of a bind. I think I'm going to, I think I might sell it, sell my Marshall. Whoa. And, uh, 
and uh, and they would say, well, he would say, well, you know what you want for it. Well, usually I would know these guys. I would know what their track record was. I'd know how much money they were making because you know I played the same clubs that they played. So. Yeah, if they told me where they were playing, I knew how much money they were making. And I always knew they were doing drugs and blowing their money and drinking and all partying and all that kind of stuff. So so I could I could kind of I would make a price that would be just an unbelievable deal. And attainable for them. Attainable. Well, right. Barely. In their imagination. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And, And what I would do is I would require a big deposit. And then the time frame that I would give them to pay the balance, I would know they couldn't make it. Now, the honest truth is I wasn't lying to them. You know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't being dishonest about anything. I was letting them capture themselves in their own greed. You and they you. thought they were taking advantage of me. And so, and so, man, they would go out and borrow money. They would do whatever they could do to come up with a down payment. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I would give them the deadline on, and it's like, now, if you don't have the balance to me by then, I will come and get this because I have somebody else who wants to buy it right now. I'm just, I'm, you know, you're, you're handing me the down payment first. So you're getting, it. but I got somebody else who's yeah. ready to take it. You know, I don't know how many times I sold that out. Nobody ever paid the balance and I repossessed it every time. Now that's what happens to people who feel lack. They set themselves up as suckers for every con man, for every corrupt humanistic, socialistic philosophy that promises things. You know, I, I, by the way, I saw something really good. You know, uh, uh, Audrey, you being a Canadian, you'll, you'll like this particularly, or uh, a former Canadian or sort of a Canadian or a half Canadian, <laughs> half whatever, however that works no, now. I you know? am Canadian. It's good. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, the uh, president of Canada, of Canadian Greenpeace. And are you familiar with Greenpeace? Mm-hmm. You know, so the president of Canadian Greenpeace comes out and is attacking all of these Americans that are running as, as uh, a democratic socialist. And he's mm-hmm. attacking the foolishness of the promises that they're making. Ah, and even though they know it doesn't even, work. Even though, you know, Greenpeace has got this reputation for being on the left, you know, he's somebody who's been around long enough to come out and say, this will destroy Mm -hmm. the entire nation Mm -hmm. if anybody Mm -hmm. buys into this. Mm -hmm. So so stop and think. Politicians right now in America are making us a promise that we're going to give you free this, free this, free this, free this, free this. And it don't even matter if you want to work or not. We're going to pay you make sure you get vacations because we have the, we have this utopian philosophy where everybody can, can live the utopian dream. Nobody actually pays for anything. Well, the, the bill on that would be over the next 10 years would be probably $80 trillion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, you know, we, we right now, we can't hardly pay the interest on our tax debt. I mean, on, on our, on our, on our uh, national debt. Uh, so where are we going to get that money? Where is it going to come from? That's what this guy was saying. He was saying, there's not even enough tax. If you took every penny that every person in America made, you can't finance this. But you know what? There's a bunch of little greedy people out there who are like, it don't matter. I don't care what it does to the country. It's free. I want mm-hmm. it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I want to tell you something. That is the mentality of the whole world, whether it's political, whether it's spiritual. You know, a spiritual preacher coming. Man, look at back in the 80s and the 90s. You know, people preaching on prosperity. I, there, there was one guy that I knew personally, and I challenged him about this stuff. But everywhere he would go to a meet and do a meeting, at some point in the meeting, he would say, I feel the hundredfold anointing. Hmm. Uh, and we need to do this quick, need to do this quick, need to do this quick. We're going to talk about offering right now for my ministry wow. because you know it's my ministry that has the anointing. So right now, this wow. is where you want to give your biggest all. If you're wanting to get out of debt, you know, empty your savings account. If you, you know, whatever you want to do, because this is it. The anointing is here. Now, let me let me just ask you this. Who believes that? The Other than a person to. that's trying to find a shortcut. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Bypass hard work, financial mm -hmm. responsibility, mm -hmm. all those things to get some a promise that nobody in their right mind should believe. Right. And I listen, I met hundreds of people back in those days that lost everything they had because they emptied their bank accounts in those situations. And they were not happy when I said, look, you need to you need to get over blaming this guy and you need to get over blaming God and you need to get over questioning your faith because this didn't have nothing to do with faith. This was greed, pure mm -hmm. and simple. Mm -hmm. You wanted something for nothing. You wanted to bypass everything that God taught us about character. So anyhow, you say, well, what's that got to do with responsibility? What are, what are we what are we talking about here? Well, here's here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that. The one law that is woven into the fabric of man, the fabric of the universe, the creation of the world is the law of the seed. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, you know, the parable of the sower and the seed, we gave it that name. It should have never really been called the parable of the sower and the seed because it's the parable of the seed. Right. Because, and Jesus says, if you do not understand this, how will you understand any of the parables of the kingdom? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, that you cannot in any area of life violate or ignore the law of sowing and reaping. And the law of sowing and reaping is never about you doing something and God doing something. It is about you making choices about your beliefs, about your strategies, about your plans, about what you're going to believe. And those choices will produce fruit after whatever the nature of that seed is. Okay. The nature so, of that choice. Yes. So that is so so let's talk about how do I become personally responsible to be immune from greed and lack. Do you know what I'm saying? Like let's just yeah. take this really home as far as it how I want to be responsible that I, I'm not I and I and I think the answer is really not just facing your fear, but dealing with it and just saying, you know what, fear is not going to have part of my, like whatever, wherever there is fear, I will be a sucker for that next thing. Like just this morning, I read an email in your, in your inbox, Bob, mm -hmm. and it said, Hey, Bob, you wouldn't believe what I found. I'm this amazing hacker. And if I could do this and someone else can, and I found all your email stuff, I've got all your personal information. And I just wanted to tell you because you need to know how, how at risk you are right this minute. And, and, you know, he was convincing, you know, wrote this all out. I'm a really good hacker. If I could do this, I know this and this and this and this about you. So you need to give me that thousand dollars. Here it is. 
Okay, so I looked at that and just went, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Like, you know, I laughed at it. Mm -hmm. But God actually, you know, Proverbs 31, 25 says, you know, those who know God, the lovers of God will laugh in the face of fear because it doesn't have any hook in you. You see, you see the ridiculousness of a fear. You can only see that when you are convinced and completely covered and drenched in the unconditional love of God that you are taken care of and that I have wisdom. And anyway, go ahead. Well, you know, and, and you're, you're saying this, you're not just saying it as explicitly as I'm going to say it, but mm-hmm. I'm going to say it very explicitly so that the listener does not get confused here. Okay. You never have to attack fear to solve fear. No. No. You know, faith is what solves fear. Right. So, you know, like you said, if you're if you're immersed in the love of God, you're going to laugh in the face of fear. Right. And so, so we you know, we want to make sure people understand when we talk about confronting fear, just like the scripture that you quoted there, we're not talking about attacking fear. Never. We're not even, we're not even really talking about trying to uh, handle fear or manage fear. No. We're just mm-hmm. we're talking about this this is the preemptive solution to this. This is this can stop fear before it can ever start. And so, uh, but so let's take this back a step though and realize though that in codependency, remember, Adam came to believe he was not who God said he was. Therefore, he felt lack. And out of that lack, he had to reach outside of himself to find something to make him feel about himself that only an in, a relationship with God can make him feel. Mm-hmm. So everything about governments, everything about religion, now pretty much everything, everything about education is designed to defy one basic biblical concept. You are not created in the likeness and image of God because there's not even a God anyhow. Even if there, and, and, and if the, you know, the government says there, there isn't a God. Religion says there is a God, but he, he, he's not, he's not uh, the God that Jesus showed us. And so, so you either, there's no God or there's a God out there, but he, he, don't, he don't want you to feel good about yourself. So you create this lack, and now I've got to find something outside of me to to meet this internal need. So when people do corrupt things, when people do evil things, they are seeking to fulfill a desire that God wants fulfilled, but it can only be fulfilled through him. So they're out here trying to find something to make them feel secure, trying to find something to make them feel lovable, trying to find something to make them feel significant, trying to find something. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> so there, you know, codependency can pr- produce what I call an aggressive codependent, or it can produce what I would call a passive codependent. Mm-hmm. Now, the aggressive codependent is, says, is one that says, I'm going to get rich and I don't care who I have to use. I don't care who I have to destroy because if I was only rich, I'd feel right about myself. Now they're not 
verbally saying it that way, but that's really, mm-hmm. you, you know, the dynamic that's happened. Mm-hmm. Or there's the there's the aggressive codependent that says that says uh, I want every woman to want me. I, I remember counseling with a guy one time, a young guy one time, and and uh, you know this guy just he just attempted to have sex with pretty much every woman he ever met, and and he said you know my intention and you know I mean he took he was in his twenties. And he was taking every kind of herb and stimulant, everything to get like a super erection and all this kind of stuff. And he said, you know, my goal is to ruin them for every other man. My goal is for the rest of their life, I am the best sex they have ever had. Yeah. And, and 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 so the whole thing was, that's that's what's going to make me feel right about myself. Mm-hmm. This is what's going to make somebody love me. And, you know, love is what everybody wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but here's the interesting thing. For every aggressive codependent person, there is a, what I call a polar opposite passive that will enter into that kind of relationship with the person. Mm-hmm. For example, let's say, let's say you, you've got a guy that uh, wants to rock some woman's world sexually, and that m- will make him feel love. And then you've got a girl that feels like she feels so bad about herself that the only way a man would love her would be if she just sexually d- does whatever he wants. Right, right. It, it, it's a polar opposite mm-hmm. match. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or, or really so the comp- dependencies work off of each other. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the guy that's going to go around and he's, he's going to use people to make money. He's going to con people to make money. You've always got some other person out there that can either A, they they're so desperate to make money to feel good about themselves that they believe every con man, mm-hmm. or there's some need that gets met in them because they think that con man really is rich and powerful, and being associated with that person gives them you know some kind of bump in their in their credibility. Mm-hmm. But just like you said, for every aggressive tendency, there is a passive co- codependent that will meet that need. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. them, because of the need it meets in them. Mm-hmm. Now, where and this I don't becomes- want to, and I do not believe that I want to be that. We don't want to be those passive people that no. have fear or have need. Like this gets back into so much of our identity in Jesus being so secure in who we are and who He is. It's back to those two pillars of faith. I know who God is, and I know who I am in God, yep. and therefore I I won't be that sucker because I there's nothing in me that's going to. My heart won't even be looking for that. Like that's who we need yeah. to be. No. So established, <clears throat> which is an ongoing journey of just no. that being established in who we really are. So the aggressive codependent says, I will make your choices for you. Mm. The passive codependent says, uh, I want somebody to make my choices mm-hmm. for me because I don't want to be responsible. Mm. And it's the it's, it's the it's the it's the you know the 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 aggressive codependent is so ego driven that they're actually trying to meet the the need of an insecurity by forcing themselves on other people by using force by making those decisions for other people. But what's really interesting, they're not really making decisions for themselves. They're not making mm. character decisions. No, that says, not character decisions. That says this is who I'm going to be. This mm-hmm. is you know this is what I'm going to do so that I am 
uh, you know, in harmony with my true nature of God. Now they will make decisions for other people because they're trying to force everybody around them to make the decision that they want them to make so that all of their needs will be met without them having to make any personal decisions. And then you've got the passives that are like, I'm not going to make any decisions because I might make the wrong decision and mm -hmm. I'm afraid of being responsible. So I'm going to let other people make decisions for me. And when it don't go right, I can point a finger at them and say, see, mm -hmm. you did this. I mm -hmm. didn't do this. So what mm -hmm. you basically have is you have a world of people that unless their identity is established in who mm -hmm. they are in Jesus, mm -hmm. then, then, then the real truth is they're not making decisions. They're not assuming responsibility. That, so their life is either depend, depending on how much control and force they can use over other people and making their decisions, or how much manipulation they can bring to bear by tricking that other person into making your decisions and therefore accepting <laughs> your responsibilities. Yeah. And what that's, the world, that's the world what we live mess. in. What a big mess. <laughs> well, who was it? Larry Norman said what uh, uh, something about what mess this world is. I wonder who began it. Don't ask me. I'm only visiting this planet. <laughs> oh my gosh, I haven't heard that one for a long time. Uh, so what is? So tell me. All this said, what is my personal responsibility today? Like, what is my apply to life today? Well, Jesus, when Jesus came and preached the gospel of the kingdom. You know the the and, and the, the the these Hebrews that were listening to him they understood way more about what he was talking about than we understand. There are two facets to the kingdom, and that is the the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of heaven. Right. Now, those terms are used uh, interchangeably, pretty much, because they are they have, you can't have one without the other. Uh, but you can't have uh, you, you, you. People attempt to always have one without the other. Let me say it that way. But the kingdom of God is any place where the will of God is yielded to by choice. And and the reason it would be yielded to by choice is because you trust God. You trust that he's a good God. You trust that anything that he's ever said is for your benefit. You trust that it's going to help you. You know, you trust all of these positive things. Mm -hmm. And so in Eden, man lived in paradise as long as he trusted who God was. And therefore, so remember, faith works by love. You know God loves you. You know he's a good God. Then you trust him. And so... Being able to abide in Eden is being in the kingdom realm. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the parallel of that today is being surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in Eden, all of the resources that man needed for a perfect life were there. So that represents the kingdom, kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, all the resources, Right. But you have access to those resources because you are in the garden, and you're in the garden because you have chosen to trust God and to, and to follow Him. Mm. And so when Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, 
most of those Jews that were listening to that, they were thinking about Eden, the Garden of Eden. They were thinking about paradise. They were thinking about how, how, how man's life was when he was completely surrendered to God and how the world was when God's will was actually done. And so uh, Jesus was a preacher of the kingdom. And he said that the kingdom is within. You know, an interesting concept, too, that goes along with that is, you know, um, in, in the Hebrew language, he, the Hebrew language provides a basis for these mathematical processes that are called gematria. Now, gematria is not numerology. They, they have a lot of similarities, but they're not the same. And the Hebrew is the only language that provides a basis for gematria. So in the Hebrew language, it, because every word, every letter is a number, then when you, know, when you spell a word, you're really creating a mathematical equation. Right. So the Hebrews recognized that all words that had the same numeric values had some kind of overlapping connection with one another. And so they would look at words and study the numeric values and they would get these insights. So one of the insights that's provided for us through the matria is that the word, the, the word heaven and the word mind or thoughts is the same numerical value. Okay. And so they, they understood from that, that in order to have heaven on earth, you had to do what, what the New Testament calls renewing your mind. You have to mm. think in mm -hmm. harmony with God. Mm -hmm. That is so, so good. Oh, absolutely. You know, and see, none of this is, is as mystically spiritual as people try to make it. None of it is as hard to figure out as people try. Only thing that makes the Bible... See, the kingdom of God is a mystery hidden in plain sight. Right. And the only thing that, that makes it where you can't see something in plain sight is because you refuse to see it. Right. You choose to see the world a different way. But everything about what you just said tells me, like we're talking about this apply to life part, stay surrendered, you know, be in the kingdom of God where you stay surrendered, you trust God completely. But what I love about what you just said is the only way we would ever leave the kingdom of God is when we start questioning. When we, yeah. like when we start questioning stuff, that's when our mind gets incongruent with heaven and all of a sudden now we have a bit of a, Dichotomy, or a little bit of a, yep. con a, a disconnect. Yeah, you know, um, it, it's interesting. And remember, you know, all truth exists in a paradox. Mm -hmm. And and the person that cannot see the paradox in a truth <clears throat> will only partially grasp that truth, or may really, because they only see one aspect of it, may actually turn truth into something that's not true. Hmm. And uh, and in the Hebrew language, you know. They, they were taught that you had to see, you had to see the light and the dark side of, of any truth uh, because you didn't understand reality unless you understood the, the, really the polar opposites. Um, so, so what's interesting, God does not mind us questioning when we're questioning to be taught. Right. That's good. But there's a problem when we're questioning to put God on trial, to judge God. Yes. Now, the children of Israel, and I believe it's Psalm 78, 41. I don't know if, it, if we 
talked about this uh, last week or, or or if I did it in another another meeting or broad podcast I was in. But, you know, Psalm 78 tells us that the children of Israel, well, actually, they're, they're, it, it tells us, I don't remember if it's in Psalm 78 also, uh, that uh, that basically they weren't established in the covenant. So, so they weren't absolute in the covenant. And there was another thing in there. And then basically it comes down to saying that they put God on trial. They tested God. Hmm. And they lim- and thereby they limited him. Okay, that's so, a great correlation. So putting God on trial is 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 not the kind of you know I my whole life I come across stuff in the Bible all the time. It's like I don't understand this. I got mm-hmm. questions about this, but I'm, I know I know there's truth in this. I know you'll show it to me, but mm-hmm. I, I just can't see it now. Right. That's healthy questioning. Yes. But see, where, our, where we limit God and where we limit the quality of our life is when I have this philosophy that I have gotten from some humanistic, socialistic, human concept, and I have taken that concept that says, this is how you have happiness, for example. And God says, this is how you have happiness. And I reject God's word. Mm-hmm. And really stand in opposition and am actually calling God a liar by saying, no, this is how I have happiness. Now, technically, that's what the Bible calls iniquity. Iniquity Mm -hmm. is when you reject God's word either completely or you twist God's word to say something different than than it already says. And so, so when I have decided this is what it takes to be happy, then... I have set myself up where I can't see the mystery that's hidden in plain sight because I've decided how I'm going to see the world. I've decided how, how I'm going to see God. I'm just, I've decided how I'm, how I'm going, to, going to see myself. So the person who is teachable, mm-hmm. the person who says, you know what? Yeah, I got my opinions. I'm pretty strong about my opinions, but, I, but I'm teachable. And that, that person that is teachable uh, it is the person that can actually read the Bible with intention. Mm-hmm. And the intention is, okay, God, speak to me. Show me how to apply this to my life. Show me what this, you know, you know what this looks like right now uh, in my dynamic. And uh, <clears throat> that person can be taught of the Lord and uh, can be led into faith, can be led into trust, can be led into understanding, can, can see the light, so to speak. But that person that says, you know, this is what I believe, and God, you're going to have to prove, you got to prove it to me if, if this is not true. Yeah. Let, let me just jump, jump in on this. I've been very quiet this episode, which is no you have. problem. This has been, <clears throat> it's been very, very good. And I think a lot of people are um, trying to find themselves, you know, in this. You know, recognizing that, you know, I have experienced a lot of lack in my life, you know, that perception, Mm -hmm. but as well, just even the fear and, and nobody wants to be controlled, you know, no, and nobody wants to be deceived, you know, deceived who me, come on. (laughs) But what you're saying right now, Jim, I think is, is, um, absolutely pivotal in, in bringing application for what we're talking about today. But I think a lot of people don't trust themselves or haven't been 
even allowed to question or to seek God's word or to find understanding or, or personal application for themselves ever yeah. in their Christian walk. Because it's always been, oh, I need to hear what he or she has to say about this mm-hmm. or what they mm-hmm. and and they're and they're looking for that next teaching, that next book or that next interpretation that they'll attach themselves to, but they've never developed within themselves that real relationship and intimacy of being able to hear from God themselves. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so, and so what you're saying right now is this is where it's at, and they're, but right away they put themselves in doubt and question of whether or not they, they could honestly discern yep. and hear from God for themselves. And, and you know, here, here's here's the, the wickedness of the world. You know, it it is on a continuum of the subtle and the sublime, and right out to the outrageous, violent thing. The the, the voices that have that have influenced and, and shaped how we see ourselves and see our world. Number one, they masquerade as people of acceptance and tolerance. But what's interesting is these are the people that are the least tolerant, will reject you, and and they use the, you know the social influence influence to uh, fo- to really take freedom away from you. In the name of giving you freedom, they're really saying no. You only have freedom if you define freedom the way we define freedom. You only have you only have tolerance if you define God the way we define God. So now stop and think about it. Hey, who is the painter? Who is the painter that, uh, that I, I'm just having a blank here. You know, that, that his paintings, people look like. Picasso. Huh? Picasso. Picasso. Right. You know, now, if Picasso was in the first How grade. How did you come up with that word? Why not Van Gogh? Because he said, I could tell where Jim was going. I, was, okay. I, I, I could tell he was going to get weird. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> so, so, so stop and think. If Picasso was in the first grade drawing pictures the way he drew them that made him, you know, world famous, mm-hmm. what would they have told him in the first grade? You're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. You know, when you go to school, all people come into the world with, with whole brain thinking. All people come into the world with a, a tendency toward creativity, with the ability to meditate. I mean, it's amazing how we come into the world. And, and, and most, most people, unless they're in a really bad environment, uh, come into the world with an innate poss- concept that all things are possible. So they use their imagination. They dream. They come up with ideas. You know where all that stops? When they go to school. When they stop playing. When they go to school. You see, school is not designed to educate us. School is designed to control us. Education became far more important during uh, when we started becoming an industrialized nation, when they needed people to know uh, how to build things, but also they needed people to be able to go into a factory, and when the bell rings, they start. When the bell rings, they stop and eat lunch. When the bell rings, they go back to work. Mm-hmm. And when the bell rings, they go home. That People needed to be programmed 
to fit the economic systems of the world. Now, keep in mind, the corruption that will lead to the world becoming so devastated that the Antichrist is able to rise to power is when the economic system is destroyed. And when you look back at the history of nations, all of the wars, all of the oppression has been about economy and money. So <clears throat> you go to school and it's like, no, color inside the lines. No, stop daydreaming. And so more and more and more, you're made to feel like I have to become like everybody else. And I know I'm hitting this socialism thing big. And if I do it too much, I don't mind stopping. You know what I mean? But you have to realize socialism started at the Tower of Babel when they said, let's make bricks. Because until then, man always complied to God's thing of saying, you don't ever build, you don't ever build an altar of any kind out of bricks. You always use stones. Why? Because you know, we understand that we are living stones built together in a temple of God. So all stones are different. They're different sizes, different colors, different shapes. But bricks are all the same. And so there's always been this move to make everybody the same so that those who are considered or who consider themselves to be the elite can have absolute total control over the world's population. So we go to school and we start feeling the need to conform. Well, if you're feeling the need to conform, what does that say about you? It says you're not enough. It says you're in lack. It says there's something unacceptable about you. So basically, without ever even talking about God on a subconscious level, you can't believe you're created in the, in the likeness and image of God. Uh, because that would mean that you are enough. You are adequate. You are you are who you need to be. You don't need to be like anybody else. So we get that imposed on us our entire life. And then we go to church. And, and you know, um, when I first started teaching on, on a, 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 a identity, self-image, and self-worth, you know, I, I discovered through my research and through prayer, through the Word of God, See, self-worth, self the process to, to, uh, to self-worth start, starts with, with I, I've got to have, I've got to create an identity. And it's got to be an identity that is acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I, is I either find a group that accepts me the way I am, or I find a group, and then I start conforming to their identity mm -hmm. so that I look like them. I talk like them. I, you know, I dress like them. I comb my hair like them. I, if they have tattoos, I get tattoos. If you know they don't get tattoos, I don't get tattoos. If they wear suits, I wear suits. If they wear polyester suits, I wear polyester suits. If they wear their neckties down below their belt, I wear my necktie below my belt. And so it's it's mass conformity to gain acceptance. Because, see, your worth, so you got your identity, who am I, and who do I have to be? And then I start taking on the image of people who offer to accept me. Of course, it's always unspoken that that acceptance is, uh, is conditional. It's based on you becoming like us. Mm -hmm. And then the more I become like them, I look to see the worth that they 
pronounce upon me? I'm, how much value do I have because I'm becoming like one of them? Yeah. How, how quickly, uh, you know, can I even climb this social ladder? Oh, yeah. You know, when, when I was a hippie, I, you know, I was out leading people to Jesus. And, you know, I didn't mind wearing a sports coat or something if that's what I needed to do to be effective in that environment. But that's never I never transitioned into that in my whole life. It was always I, I'm being who I'm going to be and I'm going to dress the way I'm going to dress. But it used to just blow my mind to see these people come in. It's like it's like, a, you know, 30 days later, you didn't even know who they were. Because they're becoming what they need to become or what they think they need to become to satisfy this sense of lack that they have. Mm-hmm. So you're right. What, what does that person do? How does that person who their whole life has been made to believe, I can't make these choices. I can't mm-hmm. make my life come out right. Well, I'll tell, tell you what we'll do, the, and we, because there's so much to this. We had to lay this foundation. Y'all know, y'all, yeah. uh, when I say y'all, I'm talking to our listeners. Y'all know how I am. I got to lay the foundation before before I can tell you the full answer. Otherwise, the answer really doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, I, I, in this thing about faith and making choices, mm-hmm. I want to come back and talk again about the law of the seed, because if we do not walk in faith based on trusting the law of the seed. See, if I trust God, I have to trust the laws that he's established. And so even though it's personal faith, it never becomes how much faith do I have. So much, usually it's just, it, usually it's just what, what am I putting my faith in? Yeah. And so can we come back to this and really just blow this up next week? And- I, re- I think so, Jim. I, I, and again, the foundation was absolutely essential simply because we really want to break these patterns yeah you know you know within our own within our own hearts and lives and so i think that identifying you know where we have been passive you know that i have been there and and i want to know what real faith because i'm going to i'm i'm going to take personal responsibility here mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. i'm going to renew my mind and i want to begin to not just out of fear or force take things back yep. mm-hmm. you see but rather i'm i'm going to come into an agreement mm-hmm. you know with the with my true sense mm-hmm. of identity mm-hmm. yeah uh, of who i really am and so and my personal take home from today mm-hmm. from my own my own personal walk is that um what what really hit me today was um, when man turned the world from paradise into chaos because he felt lack yep. like the fact that he that one feeling had the had the power to change paradise into chaos without changing anything physically. It all happened because he felt something. I'll give you this one little secret insight. Do it. We do not have to aggressively do anything to bring about incredible influence and transformation in the people in the world around us. We just need to be who we really are in our heart. Exactly. Because you see, God did not take action. God did not curse the earth. That is a myth. Right. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say it in the English, and it doesn't say in the Hebrew. He says, because of you, mm-hmm. the earth is cursed. When mm-hmm. You know, there were only two human beings alive at that time. So that meant all of the authority for planet Earth was invested in two people. 
And both of those people changed what they believed in their heart. Right. And they and they filled the law of quantum physics that says mm-hmm. we are not observing the world. We are in a co-play with the world, and it is becoming what we expect and believe it to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, exactly. So for my take-home between this week and next week, then I have to say, Audrey, where have you felt lack? Because it's not based on the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Yep. And so any of those places... I am personally responsible to align my mind in harmony with heaven because mind and heaven are the same numerical Mm -hmm. value. Therefore, it all happens in my heart and how I am feeling. Mm -hmm. So anyway, those are just, I'm just trying to give you a, I think as the listeners, we all need to do that. After Mm -hmm. we're done a podcast, we say, okay, how is this going to apply to my life today? Good. And we are we are going to have an assassination next week too, by the way. Okay. <laughs> okay, well. Okay. We are going to assassinate ought to, should, and okay. need to. Okay. We're going to, we're, we're going to kill them. And need to. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be a bloody mess. Oh my. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. All right. One one last thought. Cliffhanger. From, from me okay, Bob. Is that you know this week recognize what a beautiful living stone that you are. Yeah. Perfectly fitted. You belong. You are not a brick. You're not a brick. (laughs) I love that. You are not a brick. Well, wait a minute now. I tell I I have told Brenda oftentimes (laughs) that she was a brick house. I'm a brick (laughs) house. All right. Jim, thank you. I'm mighty, mighty. Just letting it all hang out. (laughs) I did not know I was going to inspire all that. Right. Doesn't take much. That's right. Okay. Good. Thank you, Jim, Audrey. It's good to have you with us. Be sure to share the podcast with others. Give it a like, and we'll see you next week here on Live Transformed. 